0: Ave and welcome to Emperors of Rome, a podcast series looking at the rulers of the ancient Roman Empire. I'm your host Matt Smith, with me as always is Dr. Rhiannon Evans, lecturer in ancient Mediterranean studies at La Trobe University. This is episode VI, the death of Caesar. When we last left Caesar, the Roman Empire had been dragged through a bloody civil war, with Caesar on one side and Pompey and his supporters on the other. Julius Caesar emerges triumphant, And for the most part, he forgives those who criticised him, and life more or less returns to normal in Rome. But while the civil war is over, the grudges are by no means forgotten.
1: Once the civil war is over, Caesar is dictator, and he's also doing a number of things that start to look worrying to some members of the Senate. So there's talk about him being a monarch, being a king, something that the Romans are sort of allergic to, and the Republican system is not meant to countenance. But Caesar starts doing things that aren't quite acceptable. For example, he wears the clothing of the general who is carrying out his triumph every day. Uh, Purple, wasn't it? Yeah, purple robe, big red Boots mm. and he gets to wear the laurel wreath, which we think was because his hair was receding that he liked this idea. <laughs> but it's a symbol, it's a symbol of being the triumphator. And he gets to sit in a chair between the consuls when he's not actually consul himself. This chair is made of ivory, but at some point he has it gilded, so he's sitting on a gold throne basically. So there are all kinds of rumors circulating that he's angling to be king. There's a story that Mark Antony, who's, who's been his closest ally and kind of right-hand man for a while now, um, at, at an official ceremony called the Lupercalia, came up to him with a, a crown and presented it to him and tried to basically hold a coronation and that Caesar rejected it. And Historians read this story in lots of different ways. Was Caesar testing the water to see whether the crowd would be happy with this? Mm. Or was it all prearranged so that he could be publicly seen rejecting the role of king? I may be going around as a triumphator, I may have a gold throne, but I'm not actually going to call myself king. Whatever the, the reality behind the story is, clearly Caesar was aware that people were saying these things and he wanted to to say publicly that that was not the case. It seems to have backfired largely because it sort of brought into people's minds even more the potential for Caesar in kingship.
0: So Caesar at this point, he's, he's come into Rome, he seized power, he's had a civil war, he's killed his enemies and he's, he's taken power. That's a long step away from the Caesar who stood in front of the people and argued with his fellow consul and, and was really the man of the people at that point. How do the people take him being dictator?
1: He's not really going against the people, you could argue, I think very successfully, by being dictator. What he is opposing are the traditions of the Republic, the traditions of the Senate, and the power of the Senate. So it's really the Roman aristocracy who lose power here. The Roman citizens are still going and voting for magistrates. Caesar has nominated the candidates behind the scenes. But, you know, the mechanisms of the power that the people have are still there. Caesar does an awful lot of things to placate them. He's very much still aware of what they need. They need land. They need corn doles. So he keeps the people generally pretty happy. Mm. And it should also be said that he hasn't got rid of all his enemies by any means. He's actually been very merciful. So thinking back to when he supposedly was merciful with the pirates by spearing them before they were on the cross. Similarly, he spared a lot of his enemies. And this turns out to be a big mistake. (laughs) Um, He hasn't actually got rid of all of those who fought against him in the Civil War. He's taken a lot of them into the fold. For example, Brutus had been on the Republican side in the Civil War, although at some stage he had changed sides. So he changed over to Caesar's side towards the end of the Civil War. And Caesar had said, okay, But he and a few others seem to have been very disillusioned with what they got with Caesar. He obviously is very famously one of the leaders of the plot to assassinate Caesar. It does seem to be this disillusionment. It's not necessarily those who were his enemies on the battlefield that come to get him. It's those who, some of them have been on his side all along. A man called Trebonius who had fought with him in Gaul who aren't happy with the way things turn out. That This wasn't exactly what they thought they were fighting for. They were fighting perhaps for a charismatic leader who was a man of the people, a popularist, but they weren't fighting to get rid of all of the institutions of the Republic and that's sort of what they see happening.
0: The plot to kill Caesar then, from what I can see, seems to be the worst kept secret. Is it something that he should have seen coming and something maybe he should have paid a bit more attention to?
1: There were rumors of conspiracy and assassination constantly, apparently. Um, and he refused to have a bodyguard. He didn't want to live like that. He didn't want to live constantly fearing for his life. There are strange stories in his biographies that he was ready to die. But this sounds like nonsense to me. Making yourself a perpetual dictator doesn't imply that you... You're ready to go. And he, he clearly had plans for Rome. It would have been really interesting to see what would have happened if Caesar had lived beyond 44 and uh, how things would have changed. He's bringing in lots of reforms, famously reforms the calendar, that kind of thing, and bringing in lots of building work in Rome itself. He's really interested in change and kind of reforming the way that Rome is run. He doesn't seem to be a man who assumes he's going to die tomorrow. He just misread it. He thought that he was safer than he really was.
0: But there were were quite a lot of people who were in on the plot to kill Caesar, wasn't there?
1: Uh, Apparently so, although it's always very difficult to know, given that the plot was successful, what people say afterwards about who knew what. Certainly it seems that Cicero didn't know. Cicero, who is uh, kind of the chief orator of the time, Who had ended up on the side of the Republicans, but had really prevaricated for a long time and and seems to have sort of accepted Caesar when he comes back in power. He didn't know about it, and he's a leading senator. So it's very difficult to know who knew about it. It's a minority of the Senate that's involved. 60 senators is still not most of the Senate.
0: How did the events unfold on the day we've heard about the Ides of March and it seemed like it was planned for that date? Is that right?
1: It absolutely was. And that is because Caesar was planning to leave Rome. One of the things he was planning was to go off on military campaign because there was still unfinished business. And this time he'd get to fight foreign enemies, not Romans. For example, uh, Crassus had lost those standards in Parthia. That's definitely on his shopping list of things to put right. So he's about to leave Rome on military campaign in about three days. They haven't got much chance to get at him. It has to be now at a meeting of the Senate, which was not held in the Senate House. It was held in the theater of Pompey. And he was probably killed near or under, as is often depicted, a statue of Pompey, which is kind of the ultimate irony. Mm. This was their chance to get at him. They really had to do it before he left Rome and had an army with him. So on the 15th of March, he appears in the Senate. He is approached by one of the senators. And it's all a bit of shambles at first. Apparently the first senator who tried to stab him sort of just grazed him, didn't do it properly. Uh, so there's obviously there's chaos But enough of them approach him and stab him. He's supposed to have ended up with 23 wounds on his body. And as Brutus approaches him, Brutus, the man that he forgave Mm. and brought back into the fold, he is supposed to have said, you know, the famous line from Shakespeare, et tu, Brute, and you too, Brutus. Actually, according to Plutarch, the Greek biographer, what he said was kai tu, technon, um, you too, child. Technon means boy, child which is even sadder, really, that he regarded Brutus as his son. Remember, Caesar did not have a legitimate son. He mm. only had a daughter. So the idea that he sort of sees this, this man in the role of a, a child, even possibly a successor, I guess, calling him Technon Child, and he's about to stab him, just gives the whole scene a lot more pathos.
0: So Caesar was stabbed about 23 times. So this was really quite a, a frenzied, maybe panicked attack this is kind of a, a sign of uh, frustration, really, and, and everybody wanting to get a piece of him. How much do you think this is a result of the anger that's built up against him?
1: The assassins saw themselves as liberators. Yeah. And, and Brutus puts coins out with the word liberator, liberator, on them afterwards. Caesar had made the connection in his family back to the goddess Venus. Brutus makes the connection with the, the man of the same name, Brutus who had murdered the last of Rome's kings. Rome had been a monarchy early on and in around 510 the story was that the the kings had been driven out and one of the, the first consuls and the man who was behind all of this is a man called Brutus and Brutus who murders Caesar says that he's descended from him. We actually have no evidence whether this is true, but it's very convenient for him. So he makes that link directly that he's driving out another king. He's getting rid of somebody else who would choose to dominate and be tyrannical in Rome. So that's how they depict themselves. As I say, it's it's likely that they were just disillusioned with Caesar, that they weren't getting what they thought they would out of Caesar. Maybe that he's only putting himself forward to the people. Then They're not getting what every Roman aristocrat would want, which is glory, reflected glory at the very least.
0: So with Caesar dead, the main thing that they wanted to achieve out of this would be a return to the Senate. But it clearly doesn't unfold like that, does it? No,
1: almost immediately they have to flee because there's a lot of anger. And not just amongst the people who, by and large, had loved Caesar... But also in the Senate, a lot of them had backed Caesar, now where were they? Uh, So Brutus and Cassius are forced to flee, they leave Rome and they're pursued, they're pursued by Caesar's heir Octavian and by Mark Antony and in 42 BC they're killed in battle.
0: And uh, Caesar's body lay where it fell on the Senate floor for nearly three hours.
1: Yeah, great use is made of Caesar's body and the toga he was wearing at the time, which was brought into the the forum and displayed on a statue of Caesar. Can you imagine how weird that would be? You actually get this, this garment that's covered in blood and has holes all over it and you display that publicly. Very much as the story of how Rome got rid of their first kings was because the the son of the king had raped an elite woman and her body, she then kills herself, her body is taken into the forum and displayed. This is what the kings have brought us. And the assassins of Caesar are kind of demonized by this toga being displayed in the forum these are murderous types. Is this what we want in Rome? And a reminder of the, the civil wars and all the bloodshed during that time. So it's, it's a great display and it's, it's a great indicator of just how good at propaganda the successes of Caesar will be.
0: That's Dr. Rhiannon Evans, lecturer in ancient Mediterranean studies at La Trobe University. And you've been listening to the podcast series Emperors of Rome. If you liked it, you can find it on iTunes and SoundCloud where you can subscribe, leave us a review and please share it with your friends. You can follow both Rhiannon and myself on Twitter. She's at Dr. Rhiannon Evans, and I'm at NightlightGuy. Listen out for the next episode in which we examine the legacy of Julius Caesar. Until then, I'm Matt Smith. You've been fantastic and thanks for listening.